Yeah, you, uh, you must have been outside when I announced that they were not supposed to stand for the call the worship, for the glory. Hey, it's okay. We're, we're, okay. Um, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes for this series of sermons. This is sermon number four. And the uh, scripture this morning uh, is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, which is page number 554 in your pew Bibles. And while you're turning there, the children ages uh, 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Tina Berg, I believe. And it looks like Miss Marcia Chernock as well. So Ecclesiastes, this book was written by Solomon. It was written at the end of his life. It was written after he had experimented to find out what all he could get out of life. Um, it is written um, at, after his repentance for having slipped away, backslid, I don't know how, you know, however you might want to phrase it, in his walk with the Lord, it had become, it had wavered at a minimum. And so at the end of his life, he writes this memoir. I've been describing it as, describing it as his letter to his 18-year-old self at the end of his life after his repentance. Now, I've called this series Joy at the End of the Tether, which when you first read Ecclesiastes, a lot of times the first thoughts are, well, that's a really depressing book. It just sounds like there's really no purpose to life. There's, there's no satisfaction in life. There's, there's no meaning to life. But what I'm trying to help you see, I I believe what Ecclesiastes teaches is that Ecclesiastes teaches us that we all have limitations. We are creatures. In that sense, we are tethered. We're constrained. We're confined. And what I want to help you see during these uh, series, during these sermons, is that that truth is liberating. That truth is where you find freedom. The, that idea can make you more lighthearted. It can make you laugh. It can make you enable you to enjoy the gifts of this life even more so. It can lead to deep and sustained joy. So last week I preached from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And then um, today we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 to 26. Now what I'm going to do... Um, My sermon title, by the way, is Life is Meant to be Enjoyed. Life is Meant to be Enjoyed. And I'll try to explain that more as we, um, uh, as I work, uh, explain what that means as I work through the sermon. And really just to kind of save time, because we do have communion here and also um, uh, a congregational meeting afterwards, I was not going to actually read the passage of Scripture at this time. Um, I'm going to read it instead at different points throughout the sermon. We'll cover all of the verses there in chapter 2, verses 12 to 26, but we'll read it, uh, I'll read it during the sermon. So let me just pray, and then I'll let you be seated, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things through your word as it is read and preached here, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We parents and grandparents can get our feelings kind of hurt when at Christmas or a birthday we give gifts to children or grandchildren and they're met with what is sort of a colloquialism of the day, meh. 
You know, just, eh, it's fine. Or if we give a gift to our children or grandchildren and what happens is they maybe say thank you, but you know it's not from the heart. You know, the, the parent um, uh, maybe said, tell you know your grandpa thank you, and, and it's just a thank you. But then they're on to their other toys, the ones they were really excited about. You know, you feel like a loser. What did I do poorly? I'm a bad parent or I'm a grad pa- bad grandparent. I didn't think through what they really wanted. And so you really have to have a little bit of a thick skin when you do that because people are people and we might not respond well to the gifts that we're giving. We want gifts to be enjoyed. Givers of gifts want people to enjoy the gifts that are given. They are given with the hope that those gifts will be appreciated. That's one of the themes of Ecclesiastes. You see it very clearly here in verse 24, which reads, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, at first, you hear that phrase, eat and drink, and you think of sort of the nihilistic creed, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And you think, okay, that's, that's the way it is. There's no meaning to life, so just eat all you want, drink all you can. You know, you're going to die tomorrow, so just go for it. But no, what Ecclesiastes teaches is eat and drink, for these are the gifts of God. Work, because it's given to you as a gift from the Lord. Ecclesiastes teaches us that these gifts that he gives us in life are gifts to be enjoyed. And he, and he compares that enjoyment with several things. So that's my three points, is that life is meant to be enjoyed, and, and we'll compare it to several things. First of all, life is meant to be enjoyed, not squeezed or held on to too tightly. This is where we'll begin in verse 12 of this passage of Scripture. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. So Solomon here, he compares the wise person with the foolish person. And what he realizes is that they end up in the same place. They both die. He pursued wisdom, but what he learned is that wisdom is unable to protect us from death. Everybody experiences it. Wisdom can certainly make life better, and it does. Foolishness hurts. Foolishness is painful. It causes nothing but problems. But even the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, couldn't, with all his wisdom, keep death at bay. For many people, this 
this certainty of death, that it is a given, is, is, it affects 100% of us. This certainty of death will make many people say, you know, kind of negatively and, and sarcastically, well, what's the use? You know, why even try? You know, life stinks. But the certainty of death, what I'm trying to convey in these messages is that the certainty of death is one of the things that can increase joy in our life. The certainty of death can help you say, okay, that's the way it is. Quit thinking I'm going to live forever. Let's get to work and enjoy the day. The certainty of death is a liberating truth. The certainty of death can help you say, quit expecting too much out of life. The certainty of death can help you say, just enjoy the, the gifts that God gives and honor Him with, those, with that enjoyment and honor Him, the one who gives these gifts. You know, Solomon in his pursuits, uh, he thought that he would find ultimate fulfillment, ultimate satisfaction and meaning in life, in, in what we have here. He believed that life would meet all his needs. He believed that life would fill all his longings. Or you might even say, well, maybe he didn't believe that, but he was running a test to see if it did. And when he realized that it wasn't going to meet all his needs, fulfill all his longings, and when he, and when he realized that it wasn't designed to do that, verse 17 says he got pretty upset. He got angry. Again, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all his vanity and striving after wind. He hated life because he came to realize that Life can't meet all of his expectations. He ended up hating life because, in a sense, he loved it too much. Just last night when I was reviewing my notes, I, I thought about, um, you remember the character Lenny in, of Mice and Men? I read that in high school. And, um, you know, it's an it's a interesting, you know, little novel by... I think they call it a, a novella because um, it was sort of a short novel play by John Steinbeck. And in this um, novel, Lenny's the, this huge, strong, but mentally disabled migrant worker. And, and he loves to pet soft things, rabbits, mice, whatever. Uh, and he's just so big and strong and he grips them so tightly that he ends up killing these things that he that he pets, and of course, it ultimately ends up being a long-haired woman that, and stroking her hair, he, he kills her. So now you don't have to read the book. But um, <laughs> Lenny loved these things that he, he loved. He squeezed so tightly that he ended up killing the thing that he loved. And I think that's sort of what Solomon is saying here. Why did he hate life? Because it didn't do what he expected it to do. He loved it too much. He expected too much out of it. He loved life and, and squeezed it so tightly that he, that he killed it. Because life is not meant to be loved to that extent. It's a gift from the Lord. We enjoy it. We thank Him for it. But we don't expect to find the ultimate meaning in eating and drinking and working and all the things in, that God gives us in this life. It's meant to be enjoyed, life is, but not held on to so tightly. Because it's, again, it's not meant to fulfill those longings. So this certainty of death, it means that you can...
Quit living like you're trying to avoid death. So go enjoy a cheeseburger today at lunch. <laughs> you know, enjoy football. Enjoy fishing. Enjoy laughing with your grandkids. Enjoy having lunch with friends. Quit living like you've got to in avoid death. Quit seeking happiness and contentment through what we can attain in this world. It's just a bad investment of your time. It's not a good return on investment. It's not designed. Life is not to give you it's not designed to give you that much. Don't squeeze it so tightly. Don't hold on to it so tightly. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not squeezed or held on to. Second, life is meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. It's meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man? What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart? with which he toils beneath the sun, for all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. You know, Solomon is essentially saying here that life is hard and, and, and work is full of problems, but you work hard to smooth th things out. That's, that's part of what we do. That's part of what our, our calling is. Although, as we've already seen from Ecclesiastes, a crooked road can't be made straight. It can never be made straight perfectly in this life. But again, Solomon's saying work hard. Uh, life is hard, but work hard. And, and uh, it's, it's full of problems. Uh, and upon your death, then the fruit of your work goes to people who, who might squander it, might not use it wisely. In other words, what Solomon is saying here is you really don't have any control over life and how it's going to turn out especially after you die. And I think that's very important for us to remember here. One of the things that God seems to do is often put us in situations that we can't control. He puts us in situations where we are out of control, that we can't master, be it a relationship or a health issue or um, you know, a business concern, a business venture or, or something like that. Not everything can be fixed. And wisdom learns to value the journey and the process. And not only can not only is it impossible to fix everything, not everything is a problem to be solved. I mean, some things simply have to be endured. And wisdom learns to value what is being learned while suffering. Solomon is, is clear here that wisdom can't go so, so far as to teach us how to master the world. Ecclesiastes teaches us uh, that we're not to seek techniques for programming life in such a way that everything is smooth and easy and comfortable. 
And when you realize that, that, that it's never going to get that way and it's not really designed to be that way, it can lead to joy. It can lead to relaxing, knowing that not everything can be fixed. It, it, can, it, can, it can lighten your load and let, make you less anxious because the pressure is off. It's off when you realize that not everything is a problem to be solved or can be solved. In one sense, what I'm saying with this point is we've got to lean into our limitations or lean into our creatureliness. Now, that's kind of a phrase um, that, that you hear sometimes these days, lean into this or lean into that. And really what it means is, is um, don't fight it, absorb it, learn from it. Accept it. That's kind of what the what the phrase means there. And so we we in this have to just lean into our creatureliness, lean into our inability to master life. And again, one of the beauties of that inability to master life and make it all work out the way we want and figure everything out is that it reminds you you're not in control. You're not God. This is not your world. And that is liberty. That is freedom to know that. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not squeezed. It's meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. And then third and finally, life is meant to be enjoyed, not used. Or leveraged could be another term. Let me read from verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. You know, we, we tend to uh, use the world around us. We tend to use people. We tend to use possessions. We tend to use our work for, for leverage for our own purposes to achieve our own ends. Uh, and in a sense, people uh, are just the things of life. Uh, they're, they're, they're tools that we use to curate the life that we want. People especially. Uh, and of course, people are not to be used People are meant to be appreciated and, and loved. Sometimes um, folks who are in the sort of the, the fundraising business, uh, uh, yeah, it, one of the things that would be very hard would be some like a, a director of development for a college or something like that. Um, you know, they're, they're raising funds and, and, and folks in that circle will admit that, that one of the things they really have to work hard to do is when they meet someone, not, not think first, well, I wonder if, if this person might be able to give to our, our building fund or whatever. That's, that's when you see people as, you know, they, somebody who can maybe help me accomplish my goal. That's not seeing people the way that we're to see people, we're to love people and appreciate people, not just see them as a, as a donor or whatever. I was thinking about that with um, evangelism, too. We want to be um, diligent and, and very focused in our outreach efforts as, as a church. We want to be telling folks about God's love and the forgiveness that can be found in the Lord Jesus. And not just seeing them as... Um, uh, so we want to do that, but we don't want to only see them as sort of targets or, or projects. We want to love people. 
I was thinking about that with an email from uh, Luda. We, we support as a church in Pathways Ministries in Ukraine, and um, Luda and Sergey uh, are in Ukraine, and she sends out this email every day just telling what's going on in Ukraine. And one of the things that she said this week was, Sergey went to talk about our neighbor, old man Victor, who is sick. The doctors there know at the hospital there know his case very well because he often was in hospital within the last year. They say that there is no sense to take him to hospital again because all they can do is give him supportive treatment. There's no way to treat his problem. It is sad that Victor is very lonely. He does not communicate with his adult children. He is not a Christian and is closed when we try to talk to him about spiritual things. We take him food and Sergey spends some time with him every day. I thought, what a... What a loving act that Sergey is doing there. Um, he's not just seeing this Victor guy as sort of someone that I, you know, that I only really care about if I can lead him to faith in Christ. That's certainly the ultimate goal. That's what we want. But he's loving Victor, and he's taking him food every day, spending time with him every day, loving him as a human being, not just using him. And if Victor was just a target or a project to be. One to Christ, the motivation would would be to not love him as a human being, but to take him food and just spend time with him so that I can hopefully uh, win him to my cause, win him to Christ. But we, we must see people as people and love them for being people, not for what they might be able to do for ourselves. So the, the things that God gives us, God gives us lots of things in life. And those things that He gives us, relationships, work opportunities, possessions, they are not stepping stones to something better. You know, when we see things as stepping stones to something better than what's next in our mind, uh, after where I am today and what I'm doing today, that that's out there still yet to be in my grasp, it's going to prejudice, it's going to bias, it's going to color all of my thinking and all of my days before getting to that stage or situation. So we can't see all these things that God gives us as stepping stones to something better. They are things to be enjoyed in and of themselves. They're gifts from the Lord. There's not something better at the next stepping stone. And I was thinking about that in, in pastoral ministry. Like you could be an assistant pastor. You could be Hunter or, or Anton and, and deep down be unsatisfied. Um, of course, he's going to hide it well, but, but he, you could be very unsatisfied with being an assistant pastor and think, well, you know, someday I want to be uh, the, the, the lead pastor or senior pastor or whatever, and, and that's when I'll really arrive or a senior pastor, you know, whatever size church your your pastor, maybe it's a 50 member church. And you're thinking, well, when I when it becomes a hundred member church, then we'll really be something, and I will have really found fulfillment and meaning. And no, that's not the way it works. We we love we love the gifts that God gives us, and don't see these gifts as stepping stones to something better. Life is meant to be enjoyed. There are gifts from the Lord, and these gifts are not to be. Leveraged or used just for whatever else I want. I think one of the commentaries I was looking at sums it up well. Instead of using these gifts as a means to securing significance and ultimate meaning, we take the time to live inside the gifts 
and see the hand of God in them. Instead of using these gifts as a means to securing significance and ultimate meaning, we take the time to live inside the gifts and see the hand of God in them. And ordinarily, we eat and we drink and we work, especially the eating and drinking, I guess. It's, it's, just, it's just seen as sort of fuel uh, um, to replenish ourselves, to keep us going toward finding significance and satisfaction out there. But what if food is not fuel, but it's meant to be enjoyed? It's a gift from the Lord. What if our work was never intended um, to make us find ultimate meaning and satisfaction, but simply to make us faithful and generous? And as Hunter was praying earlier, uh, contributors in a sense to society. I don't know if he used that phrase, but I think it was there conceptually. And what if people are meant to be loved and not stepped on to get us where we want to go. God has given us all these things and they are to be loved and appreciated. They are themselves their own reward. And when we accept the fact that we're all going to die and not be remembered, then we can learn to pursue eating and drinking and, and being merry in our work for, for what they are in themselves rather than what we need them to be to make us happy. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not squeezed, not mastered, not used. And we remember, of course, that God is the one who gives us the ability to do that. Verse 25, again, For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Without this sort of gift from the Lord, we will be... We will believe that achievement and possessions and fame give satisfaction. Without the gift from the Lord to see it for the, 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 these things for the way that we, they should be seen, then we will not hunger and thirst after righteousness, but we'll, we will be hungering and thirsting after making our name great. Without the Lord giving us the, the gift and the ability to see these things properly, we'll not enjoy life, but we'll expect too much from it and squeeze it to death. We'll seek to master life and be anxious all the time or controlling or angry. Or we'll use life, especially people, to get our way. These things are, that's wrong. It's a sin. It's a sin to seek ultimate fulfillment from life itself. It's sin to think that we can control life, master it. It's sin to use people for our purposes. But listen, Jesus has come to free you from that and to forgive you for that. Ask Him to forgive you. Invite Him to take control of your life and to come into your heart and live forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we all have a tendency to use things, especially people, for our own purposes. To advance our name, our fortune, our goals. And we sin by doing that. Lord, Please forgive us. And please give us the gift of not expecting too much from life. Give us the ability to avoid seeking to master it. And help us never to use the gifts of life, especially people, to get our way. Especially, Lord, I pray that you'd give us the gift of Jesus. 
that every single one of us here here today would turn from our sins and give ourselves to Christ. Through whom we pray. Amen. Our hymn of response is Behold the Lamb. You see the words here in your bulletin. bulletin. Let's stand and sing to the Lord. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. 
Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own goodness, but only in your righteousness credited to us. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose manner is always to show mercy. Grant us, therefore, O Lord, the grace to commune now with Christ by faith, that we may evermore live in him and he in us. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to this meal, you may wonder about your ability to participate in it. We have a little paragraph at the bottom of this panel in your bulletin that answers the question, may I come to the Lord's table? The short of it is simply, you can come to this, the Lord's table, on three conditions. One, uh, it notes here, you recognize that you are a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and have no hope except for His sovereign mercy. Second, you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is a Savior of sinners, the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and you receive and you rest upon Him alone for salvation. And then the third thing that's noted here, also with the letter S, sinner, Savior, is the word submit. You have submitted yourself to the leadership of your local church, be it Third Presbyterian Church or another local church or another church if you're visiting from out of town, you have submitted yourself to the leadership of that church. That's what it takes to come and participate in this meal. That's what we call being a member in good standing of an evangelical church. And so if that's you, come and participate. We invite you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we give you thanks for this meal, for this time together, for the opportunity to commune around uh, these, this table and these elements. So we thank you for this. And second, Lord, we recognize that these are very ordinary, common elements. It's our prayer that you would set them apart for a sacred use, that through this time, through this meal, we might be nourished and grow in faith. We pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. So what we'll do here in just a few moments, um, Emily and Jonathan will play. Um, they'll play about 30 seconds or so, 45 seconds, something like that, for you to uh, pray. And um, then um, when they transition into a new whatever's next, then I'll uh, give you some instruction. And we'll begin as we normally do. Um, how do we do it? Scott, you, you begin. And then Larry, then you will begin. And so at that time, and you and the chapel, you go to the center, and then you come up front. Let's uh, commune with the Lord.
Please now come to the Lord's table.
the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. As I am ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. And do this in remembrance of me. Let us receive the bread and feed upon Christ in our hearts by faith. And in the same manner, he also took the cup and having given thanks, which we have done in his name, he gave it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let us commune the cup together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the ability to come together around this table as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the blessing of this provision. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your spirit who strengthens us and encourages us. We pray, O Lord, that from this time together today and from this meal, we might be strengthened to go into the world, to be salt and light and glorify you in all that we do. Through Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this closing chorus, Great is the Lord. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Amen. Just remind, we'll, we'll take just a couple minutes, and then we will start our congregational meeting.
the Lord has used this time today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.